Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Because Star Trek's characters are beloved by so many people, some of the actors have gotten very attached to who they play on the show. And rightly so. But often actors' visions for their characters have been overshadowed by the vision of the writers and the studio executives. This has actually caused a lot of drama behind the scenes that audiences aren't typically aware of. A number of issues like plot lines that come out of nowhere and alien concepts that make no logical sense could have been avoided if the people in charge had been more open to feedback from the cast. Others simply suffered from bad writing and a lack of character development. Whatever their reasons, here are eight scenes from Star Trek that the actors absolutely hated shooting. Number eight. The first appearance of the Ferengi. Many fans don't know this, but one of the first Ferengi ever seen on Star Trek in the Next Generation episode The Last Outpost was actually played by Armin Shimmerman, the actor who went on to play Quark in Deep Space Nine. Unfortunately for Shimmerman, this performance went on to haunt him. As he explained to GameSpot at the time, the Ferengi were not yet fully developed into the species we know today. During the early episodes of The Next Generation, they were originally intended to be more menacing, scary and actual enemies of the Federation. But Shimmerman played up to the evil factor perhaps a bit too much and as a result ended up portraying the Ferengi as incredibly one-dimensional and a bit silly during his first appearance. When Deep Space Nine began and the studio was looking for someone to play their new recurring Ferengi character, Quark, Shimmerman auditioned three times before getting the role. And even though we eventually got to see more of the Ferengi and their culture throughout Deep Space Nine, it's fair to say that he set the tone. Number seven, Dr. Bashir's secret being revealed. In the episode Dr. Bashir, I presume, from season five of Deep Space Nine, it was revealed that Dr. Julian Bashir was genetically modified by his parents when he was about seven years old to have superior physical and mental abilities. We learned that Bashir struggled with learning at a young age, quickly falling behind all of his peers at school. So his parents gave him illegal genetic enhancements. I could do with some of those. Hoping to give him a chance at a brighter future, but had to keep it a secret as genetic manipulation was banned in the Federation. It was a big surprise and many fans saw it as fun and interesting a new direction for Bashir's character even. Because prior to this, audiences had criticized him for being an annoying know-it-all, always hitting on Dax, and you know, I think learning this secret about him made him seem a little bit more human 
and all of his behavior a little bit more justified maybe. However, Alexander Siddig, who played the doctor, disagreed. Siddig only learned of Bashir's secret mere days before filming began on the episode, and he was devastated that the writers would include such an important reveal for his character without even consulting him once. To get back at the execs, he said he purposefully put minimal effort into the recording of the episode and protested for Bashir's genetic modifications to be largely ignored afterwards, though they do occasionally come into play in the later series. Number 6. Jadzia's Death Scene when Star Trek Deep Space Nine neared the end of its sixth season and the show was coming to a close, Terry Farrell, who played Jadzia Dax on nearly every episode thus far, requested to have her appearance made less frequent on the show so she could have time to pursue other roles. Unsurprisingly, the producers denied this request and gave Farrell only two options. Jadzia remains as a lead character or she gets killed off. Pharrell chose the latter, which resulted in an RKO-style death scene where Jadzia is killed by the Par Wraith-possessed Gold Dukat in the episode Tears of the Prophets. Admittedly, this was a shocking surprise and led to many interesting stories with Dax's new host Esri, which I found progressive in some ways, but Terry Farrell was disappointed that her character had to die so abruptly. It's likely that the writers had already thought about Dax having a symbiote move to a new host, as throughout the whole series we've been learning about her past lives and we always knew that one day she would transfer to somebody else. Number 5. Chakotay and Seven of Nine's Romance During Season 7 of Star Trek Voyager, Seven of Nine really made progress on regaining her humanity. As the series came to a close, Seven began forming strong friendships and even experimenting with romance on the holodeck in that episode called Human Error. This episode, and the one that followed, Natural Law, started toying with the idea of Seven and Chakotay developing feelings for each other. But when Jerry Ryan, who played Seven of Nine, asked the producers if they were going to include a romance between the two characters, they responded, absolutely not. So of course, it annoyed Ryan when she was surprised by a sudden random scene that was included at the beginning of Voyager's finale, Endgame, in which Seven and Chakotay were seen to be like dating out of the blue, presumably madly in love with each other. Ryan was told specifically not to play into the romance between her character and Robert Beltran, but the producers still went ahead and included it. Likely they were just trying to add some tactless conclusion to Seven's story. Luckily though, in the first season of Picard, we get to see a more human version of Seven without her need of a forced romance to prove it. Number 4. The Dance from Move Along Home Deep Space Nine, like most other Trek shows, started off with a rather lacklustre first season. But you know, things get going after a little while. However, no episode fully encapsulates the show's early failings as much as Move Along Home. In the episode, an alien delegation from the Gamma Quadrant visited the station and brought aboard this mysterious game which they eventually convinced Quark to play. Quark didn't realise, however, that Sisko, Dax, Bashir and Kira were kidnapped from the station and put into this simulation game. They were also controlled by his choices in the game. Eventually, he learned that they were taken and saw that failure in the game could lead to their deaths. This was a really cool idea for a story and definitely one of the most unique episodes of Season 1, but it was executed in a way that was just... It was just weird. In 2013, Avery Brooks said that he particularly disliked the weird alien dance he and the others were forced to do inside the game, all whilst hopping around and singing that ridiculous song, A la mare, count to four, 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 a la mare. And I've remixed it, haven't I? I've made it into an Afrobeat song, but a la, a la mare, count to four. Number 3. Dr. Crusher's Weird Ghost Romance Gates McFadden, who played Dr. Crusher, hated the Next Generation episode Sub Rosa and 
Well, most people found it peculiar, at least. This episode was so ridiculous. I mean, she f***s a ghost. Wait, you know what? I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's roll this back a bit. Dr. Crusher gets a family heirloom from her recently deceased grandmother. The small candlelight device then activates when she's alone and releases an alien entity known as Ronin, who Crusher... Well, she f***s him. She does. I mean, she has romantic relations with him, if you want to put it in a better sense of words, but the scenes portraying their intimacy were hilariously overacted by McFadden, who, of course, realised how profoundly absurd the plot was for this episode. It gets even worse. Later in the episode, her grandmother's dead body is possessed by Rodin, and we learn that this same alien entity has been seducing people in her family for generations. The scenes between Crusher and Ronin are awkward, hilarious, and painful to watch, and McFadden has talked often in the past about how laughable she found them at the time. Number two, the holodeck scenes in Star Trek Enterprise finale. When Star Trek Enterprise was cancelled in 2005, the cast as well as the audiences hoped that the show would at least, at least get a good conclusion for some of the main plot lines that were set up over the series. By the last series, we had things going on like the Temporal Cold War, the Zindi War, and all of the side stories, and they all had to hastily be completed. A few of my Trek mates would say that the early cancellation of a show is what prevented it from ever really taking off as much as other Star Trek installments over the years. If they were given more time, the plot lines could have been resolved more elegantly. The final episode made things even worse, particularly with the prevalence of Jonathan Frakes, who returns as our good old chair-hopping Riker watching a historical holodeck program about the end of Archer's journey with the first Enterprise. It's good to see Riker, Troy and the old Enterprise D again, but having Riker interject with commentary or just stare at the Enterprise characters as they go through some of the most emotional moments for them in the series was presumably seen as insulting by Bakula, who never voiced his concern, but according to Brandon Braga, was very displeased by the finale. Frakes has gone on to say that he believes his presence in the finale took away from the main cast moment. Number one, Captain Kirk's death scene. One scene that most fans will find hard to watch for one reason or another is Captain Kirk's death scene in Star Trek Generations. James T. Kirk is one of the most renowned Starfleet officers in history, both in lore and in the eyes of us fans. Unfortunately, through his death in the seventh Star Trek film, it was hardly the send-off that the character deserved. In Generations, Kirk was lost in a timeless dimension of pure happiness known as the Nexus and is pulled back into reality by Picard and killed by falling to his death by fighting Tolian Soren, a man who Kirk has never met and has no history with. Not to mention, Picard could have re-emerged from the Nexus at any point in time, even days before the battle with Saran, which made Kirk's death seem completely avoidable. It shouldn't surprise anyone to learn that William Shatner was also not happy with his character's unceremonious death. Shatner explained to TrekMovie.com that the only reason he agreed to perform this scene was because the creative leads told him the only options were to do this scene like they wanted or to make it happen off screen. It was definitely cool to see Kirk and Picard teaming up for the first time, but Kirk's death should have been more personal to his character, not a quick torch pass to the next generation. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.